Welcome to Revenue Champions, I'm Alice. And I'm John. We interview leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs in the B2B space. Giving you the inside tips, tricks, and hacks for you to grow and scale your B2B business today. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 12 of Revenue Champions. Today's episode is really exciting. I'm joined by CMO of Gong Udi, mastermind behind that Super Bowl ad, as well as just their general marketing strategy, which is something I've looked up to for yeah quite a while now. So really excited to have you on Udi. It'd be great if you could just give a brief intro to yourself, your role at Gong and say hi to everyone. Yeah, good morning, Alice. I'm excited to be here. I'm, I'm Udi. I've been at Gong for almost five years. I was the first marketer. Uh, Gong is the fifth marketing team that I'm starting from scratch. So it seems like I've failed at everything else. So they keep calling me back to build marketing teams. Gong has been uh, quite a crazy ride so far. Uh, for those who don't know us, we are the leading revenue intelligence platform for sales. So we help sales teams win more business by relying on facts and reality rather than opinions and conjecture. Uh, if you don't know about it more, please check it out at gong.io. And uh, I've been living in the San Francisco Bay Area for the last three years after being born and raised in the Tel Aviv, Israel area where I'm originally from. Amazing, thank you. Quite a background. <laughs> so there's lots that we can learn from you today for sure. And I wanted to kick things off by talking about the whole topic around B2B is B2C and there's a lot that you can learn from what B2C do well and I think in B2B definitely throughout my career I've worked in some big corporates I've seen a lot of the the scaredness behind like not wanting to do certain tactics or strategies where you know they seem firmly set in the B2C world and I obviously not something that you've had a barrier against with the Super Bowl ad and some of the other tactics I know you guys employ at Gong so I'm just interested to hear your thoughts around it like how you approach it how you decide if something is worth testing for B2B. Yeah, how you go about that? Yeah, great, great question. So I, I think there's a couple of ways that, that I think about it. One, I think the biggest thing that B2C have been doing differently for so many years than B2B is that they talk like human beings. It's really that simple. Um, B2C brands have realized that to survive and attract and engage their consumers, they need to talk to them like human beings. They can't be talking down to them. If they're talking to consumers wearing sweatpants, they're not going to show up wearing a suit and tie because that would be condescending and look ridiculous. But B2B brands still mostly show up like that. And I'm not sure why. Uh, you're talking to IT folks or salespeople who are wearing jeans and a t-shirt. Why is your website full of people with, with business suits in, in overly lit rooms, shaking hands. Like, when does that happen? That, that doesn't happen. I mean, it looks like those photos were taken in the 1950s and probably even then they were mostly in, in you know, Mad Men TV shows and not, uh, not real life. So I think the one thing that great B2B brands are understanding and starting to do more now of is just talking like human beings, which is what B2C brands have been doing for, for a really long time. And then the second thing around what we like experimenting with is, is quite simple. I like showing up where my audience is. And so sometimes that place is LinkedIn or Google search or on my own website. Sometimes I want to meet people when they're taking a, a, a car to a conference like an Uber or a Lyft. So I'll, I'll look for advertising options on Uber or Lyft. Sometimes 
Uh, I want to meet them when they're going grocery shopping. So I'll look at out of home advertising. Sometimes I want to catch them on a weekend when they're least expecting it, but I know that they're all tuning into the big game. So I'll do a Super Bowl commercial. So it's really about meeting my audience where they are and not assuming that, you know, you build the prettiest website in the world, but if nobody comes there, then what's the point? So it's, it's really looking at the patterns of where your audience is going and just showing up there. Amazing. And I guess that was the thought process behind the Super Bowl ad, why you went for that. And I'm just in terms of understanding very practically how that like comes about, how you get sign off for it. Was it like a simple process? I mean, this kind of leads on to my second question. I've, I've heard you talk in a podcast before about your sort of CMO ideas budget line, which I love. And I'd just like to understand, I guess, like the cadence for that. Is that something that you ha- you do sort of like on a quarterly basis? And um, do they or ideas ever get rejected? Is there a a sort of a process that you run around this that sort of others could maybe take and follow a similar vein? Yeah, happy happy to walk you through my process. There there are no secrets there. And and I think beyond the the mechanics of it, it's really about having a really good relationship with the CEO, the sales leadership, the finance leadership, and building a relationship of trust because that what uh, trust and communications, that's what lets you experiment and come back reporting on results in a very honest way. And some, some things fail miserably. And sometimes I seriously mess up. Um, Sometimes things work out fantastically and even better than I expected. Uh, But having that relationship of of trust and just stop hand waving for a minute and um, earn the trust of the people you're working with, get them to believe that you're doing what you truly believe is best for the business and that you're the most capable person to be making those decisions and then come back and report on the results of those experiments. That That's what builds a great relationship. And I think that's that's paramount to, to being able to do all these amazing creative things that we're doing at Gong. If, if you're a marketing leader and you haven't built that relationship with your entire or most of your leadership team, then you're not going to be able to pull these things off. It's not about, oh, how did I trick the CFO into giving me budget? I, I didn't. I, I went through a process I'm, and I'm, I'm happy to share, but it's, it's really years of building this relationship to, to get to that point where, where we can do these things. So what does that look like on a, on a practical level? First, uh, for those who don't know, a fun fact Gong's CEO, Amit Bendov, is a former CMO. So for most of his career, he was a chief marketing officer. And that sets the stage for working with a CEO who was a former marketer. You get to do lots of stuff that you wouldn't get to do at other companies. And I, I often describe him as being the biggest pain in the butt I've ever worked with, but my boss of choice anytime and anywhere. So the, the second fun fact is that over the course of the last 23 years, I've worked with Amit at three separate companies, uh, a total of about 10 years of working very closely together because we really uh, understand each other. We have a great personal and working relationship. I've learned most of what I know about marketing and leadership from him. And I know that he always has my back and he, he probably has even crazier ideas and a bigger appetite for risk than I do. So when I come to him with what I think is a crazy idea to, to him, that's like table stake. Yeah, let's just do this. And and he will have my back when we go to the CFO and we go to management and, and even to the board to justify some of the budgets for, for these crazy ideas. I know I've got his back. Um, so that's that's a very important part of, of our unique relationship. And I, I encourage every marketer to find a CEO where you can get close to that, where where you can you can build that relationship of trust and, and support. So uh, as you mentioned, I, I do have a, a budget item. Uh, I don't know if it's 
10 or 15% of our budget. It's literally labeled Udi's crazy ideas or CMO reserves for the official version of the spreadsheet where uh, we keep some budget and uh, my team knows that I won't always spend it. So if by end of quarter, I, I haven't spent it, which is rare, uh, they can use it for, for the other marketing campaigns and programs. But that allows me to act sometimes almost on a whim when I see uh, an opportunity calling. For example, um, the first time we ran an outstanding Gongsters program, so we announced our what other companies called Employee of the Year, we, we announced our first cohort of um, outstanding Gongsters. I was thinking, what could we do that we would be really special to recognize them rather than just have an internal ceremony? So I thought about, well, what if they woke up the following day and saw their faces on billboard all around their city in San Francisco, where, where most of us work. Uh, so I just went out and did that and didn't tell like any one of the outstanding gongsters, kept it to a very small circle of people who worked on the campaign. We even tricked the outstanding gongsters to come in for a photo shoot, not telling them what it was. We, we said something vague about using them on the website. Um, and they literally woke up the next morning and saw billboards up in their city, dozens of billboards with their faces on them and gone congratulating and thanking them for being such outstanding members of our team. So I couldn't do that uh, with a lot of advanced planning in that case because I, I just had an idea and I wanted to run with it and and I did and the results were fantastic. Um, not only did the outstanding gongsters really feel appreciated, everyone else on the team uh, was so supportive and uh, started working towards being featured on next year's billboards. And we've been doing this for three years now. So it's, it's been an ongoing, really successful campaign. Uh, and of course, candidates who come in for interviews, they see these billboards on their way in and they're like, wow, I want to work for a company who values their employees this way. So moving into the Super Bowl story that you asked about, um, you know, Super Bowl was in February, I learned about the advertising opportunity somewhere around September or October. Uh, prior to that, I, I got a call from CBS, the network who uh, had the broadcasting rights for this year. And my initial response was pushing back saying, um, thanks, but you, you folks are probably way too expensive for me, but let's let's keep in touch for future years. I, I see the value. And then uh, there was a very persistent sales lady by the name of Monica at CBS. Hi, Monica. And she she wrote back immediately. She said, you know, there might be uh, options that are uh, at an affordable cost. Uh, I'd love to, to chat. So I'm like, okay, Monica, I'm intrigued. Let's chat. And then I, we chatted and I learned that um, for all of these large productions and, and televised events, you don't have to do a national spot that is notoriously expensive. They're, they're regularly priced over $5 million for the media, and that's before you even produce a commercial. So uh, despite being gong and we're a very well-funded company, I, I, I don't have the courage of spending $5 million on a 30-second campaign just yet. I, I could get the budget if I really wanted to. It's just a huge part of my budget, so why would I do that right now? Um, so instead, I learned that we could go regional and uh, you can actually buy specific markets. And those markets are priced based on the population, which is how B2C brands think, right? If I'm Coca-Cola uh, or, or a car manufacturer, I want to get to as many eyeballs of potential consumers. So looking at what are the main hubs of buyers for my B2B business in San Francisco, in New York, in Seattle, the population in those areas isn't that crazy. And so the price of, of running a regional commercial there, even in the biggest game of the year, isn't that insane at all. So I'm like, wow, we could actually get this done for a fraction of the price 
of what the national spot is or what people think uh, I would pay for this. So armed with that information, uh, I, I went out to drinks with my CEO. And I said, uh, after, after getting two drinks in him, I said, Amit, I want to get you excited about an idea so we can go twist the arm of the CFO. And I, I didn't even finish the first sentence. As soon as, as soon as he heard Super Bowl, he asked how much. I, I told him the prices that we could get for regional. And he was like, OK, I'm excited. Let's go twist the arm of the CFO. And the next night, we got to dinner with, with the whole management team. And he was pitching it for me before I could even open my mouth. My CEO was so excited about it at that point that he was pitching it to the CFO. The CFO, I think at that point, understood that he's not going to win this war, whatever happens. So he, he might as well just uh, mitigate the risk. And then uh, because this was you know, the largest advertising campaign we've done at Gong, uh, the CEO decided to sort of go above and beyond in getting uh, broad agreement and acknowledgement. So he sent out an email to a couple of board members. And even though this was below the threshold of what he officially needed approval for, uh, approval for, he sent a couple of board members to ask them for their opinion. What do you think about us doing a Super Bowl commercial? And both of them responded with a similar answer, which he forwarded to me. They said, look, we, we normally don't support B2B companies doing Super Bowl ads because it usually ends up being a waste of money that nobody can measure the impact of. But we know you have Udi on the marketing team and he probably has some creative ideas of how to pull this off. We trust you guys. Go do this. So Amit forwards me that email thread from the board with the headline, basically your neck is on the line. Good luck. <laughs> and I took that as a, okay, let's do this. Um, and, and we went and pulled it off. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's an exciting story of how we you know, strategized on what should be the creative and how do we... Um, fish out the, the audience that we want to uh, to take notice of. Uh, we don't have time for all the details today. So maybe I'll, I'll give one fun, fun fact or, or two from the production, and then we'll jump to the results if that's okay. Uh, so one, one fun fact during the creative process was I was obsessed with making sure that when the Super Bowl game goes on break, What's the automatic thing that people do? They, they they go to the bathroom, they go refill their beverages or food. And I wanted to make sure that sales professionals and especially sales leaders who are the audience I'm after do not move from the television. So how do you do that? Uh, you've got a 30 second commercial. How do I make it clear to them in the first frame of the commercial that they should not get up right now and, and do this just for that sliver of people that, that we wanted? And uh, at the end of that creative process, we ended up with the first shot of the commercial being a, a desk nameplate that says vice president of sales on it. And that's how the commercial starts by zooming in or actually out of this nameplate that says vice president of sales. And my thinking was, I'm going to self-qualify my audience, just like when we're doing um, you know, regular eBooks on social media, a great way of getting the right audience if you're selling to VPs of sales is to put their title in the, the subject or the headline of the content, right? The ultimate guide for VP of sales, 10 tips for VP of sales. VP of sales, are you making this mistake? So if that works on social media, why wouldn't it work on TV? And, and it was really, really great moment where where we solved that problem and 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 i think it worked so so the the commercial starts you can google uh gong super bowl commercial and you'll find it if you want to see the the commercial uh so so the commercial starts with that beautiful frame of zooming out of this nameplate that says vice president of sales which basically tells you mrs vp of sales this is not a good time to go to the bathroom stay for this commercial this is for you uh so that's how we started the the commercial another 
fun fact is that we shot this during like the worst lockdown of, of COVID. So we had to um, restrict ourselves to creative briefs uh, that were rather modest. We couldn't get a full staff of, of a full cast of characters to be running around without masks because that would not look real or nor would it be possible to produce during COVID. So we ended up having a single actor uh, acting as our VP of sales who we've used in the past on our website and for other commercials and, and videos we've created at Gong. And I think we, rather than fighting COVID and trying to make it look like this was shot in a different time and place and everything is fine, we we went all in. And he talks about his team going remote this year and how lonely the office has become. And he's walking around in this dark, empty space of an office, which I think made it really touch home with a lot of people because that's what their experience looked like this year. So rather than, you know, creating something that, that looks like it doesn't belong in 2020. We created something that, uh, that that felt very real and relevant to the times that we're living in. And then I'll jump to the to the final uh, uh, results because I know you have other questions for me. Um, we weren't expecting a measurable short-term impact of Super Bowl. We, we had set everyone up to expect that this is going to have a long-term awareness increase impact on, on the company that maybe we'll be able to measure some of it. Um, but in fact, the week started off by us tracking how many sales calls with prospects we're talking about Super Bowl. So in, in the week, in the seven days, or the, rather the five working days after Super Bowl, um, more than 400 prospect calls were talking about Super Bowl. So that's already an amazing sign that, and we, we use Gong, of course, uh, to, to measure that. Uh, that's an amazing signal that, that things are working. And then at the end of that week, we we weren't even expecting that surprise, but we found out that that Super Bowl week broke all records for most inbound opportunities created at Gong. That became our record week of the most inbound business opportunities uh, accepted by sales at Gong. So at that point, even the CFO became a fan and, and even increased our mutual trust, understanding that, yes, sometimes these risks actually do pay off and, and we got way more than we bargained for. Yeah, it's amazing. And I think there's so much in all of that that we've, well, you've covered off there for everyone. But I think the big things are being where your audience is and that, and going back to the B2B versus B2C thing, it doesn't have to be in a B2B environment, just thinking outside of the box there. You might get um, a competitive advantage. You might get things at a cost you just wouldn't have imagined before. So just being creative and then being human and that outside the box thinking, which obviously is something you can't necessarily teach, but you obviously have some amazing ideas. So yeah, that's great. Looking forward to seeing what you guys do next. The other thing I wanted to kind of tackle and get your thoughts on is um, something we've been thinking a lot at, about at Cognizant is this problem of um, content distribution. I'm going to call it a problem because I think there's like an awareness now among everyone that, you know, you create, you should create once and then distribute forever. But what I don't think has necessarily been tackled that well in B2B is like, how do you actually operationalize that? How do you processes in place how do you do that really well is it a dedicated role we're actually testing breaking out as a completely separate role at the moment like I don't know is that the way to go are there other how do you guys think about it at Gong and how do you kind of execute on that so, so the question is how we think about content distribution yeah exactly so uh, I, I've, I've written a, a full article on Forbes about uh, content packaging if, if again if you google my name and, and Forbes you'll, you'll find it uh, I think that's a that's a common dilemma that lots of marketing teams have, and, and I've seen mishandled many, many times. So, I think the the main problem starts with most marketing teams, uh, more, most marketing teams thinking they have a brilliant idea for content, 
and they spend 90% of their resources building that piece of content. And then the night before it's ready, they start thinking about distribution and, oh, we should get an image for social and, and let's quickly uh, write some copy for the email that goes out. And then they send it out and they see mediocre results and they they don't know if it's because the, con the content didn't land well or it was something else. And I propose something that's, I think, a little bit different than mo most teams do. I propose you spend 50% of your time and resources creating the piece of content and 50% of the time on the packaging and distribution plan because most of the impact you're going to get is before people read the first page of your content. Here's the thing. Imagine like how, how are your audience going to find out about this piece of content? They're either going to search for something on Google and then your piece of content shows up in the result, or they're going to be scrolling their favorite social media app and they're going to see your content show up or they're, they're going to see an ad somewhere for it and then they're going to click it and then they're going to get to a landing page and they're going to be convinced hopefully on your landing page that this is for them and this is going to change their day for the better and then they download it so all of this journey they're doing before they even meet your content they're just doing that with the packaging which is what i like calling the the distribution plan right what does the cover look like what does the banners the promotional banners look like what does the landing page look like what does the email look like why would i open this why would i click this why now why me uh, all of these things are so important and are often left as an afterthought to do the night before distribution. I think that's criminal. You should be starting with a distribution plan, spending 50% of your effort on that because you could have the best piece of content in the world, but if the packaging is sloppy, nobody's going to read it and get exposed to it. So, so as a framework of thinking about dividing resources, time, and, and putting your best people on, on what parts of the project, Packaging is as important, if not more, than than actual content. You know, sometimes we joke that by the time we get the leads, they haven't even opened the white paper yet, right? Because we took their email in the gated form. So again, half jokingly, we say that that's all we really wanted. I mean, at that point, uh, uh, again, I'm not suggesting you write mediocre content, but even the content is not the best piece of content in the world. You've already got what you wanted from them, which is their email at that point. So just why are you investing everything in the content and not in the distribution? So that's uh, that's how we think about it at, at Gong. Um, now, what does that look like? So the packaging, just like you know, any any writing of piece of content, it, it cannot be boring. Cannot be boring. So I, I gave an example when I was talking about the Super Bowl commercial. How do we self-qualify the audience? If I'm writing for VP sales, how would she know that this is for her if it's not in the title? Now, I, I'm not suggesting that there's one template that you need to use and always put her, her job title in the in the headline of the content, but that's one way of thinking about it. If if you don't do something like that, something that like mention a problem that they run into daily or, or something that would be intriguing to them, why would she download that piece of content? Why would she open that email? Why would she click on that call to action? So you can see that the questions here are just as challenging to solve as the ones that you put into creating that piece of content. So you really need your best people on, on distribution. Um, normally, you know, we'd start probably a couple of weeks before the piece of content goes out by giving a brief to graphic design. Okay, we need all these banners for the different formats and different networks. Here's the copy. And it's usually the same team working on creating the content piece and then writing the briefs for the social media team, for the graphic design team, because it all has to fit together. All components of the campaign have to agree with each other. Like, here's another common mistake that I see. You know, people do A-B testing of different copy and different creatives, 
And then they get this Frankenstein of a campaign where I might see a green banner that says something like, I don't know, we want the five tips for solving this problem. I click on it. I get to a purple landing page that's actually offering me a demo of their product. And I'm scratching my head now. Am I in the right place? Did, did I walk into the wrong room? Because they've used different colors, different calls to action, different font, different imagery. Uh, they promised one thing on the banner and they've broken that promise on the landing page. Why would I give them my email at this point to download the piece of content? So that, that's a really common mistake. All pieces of the campaign have to agree. When I say agree, that means repeat the same promise, repeat the title of the asset or the offer. Don't lure me in with the bait of the white paper. And by the time I get to the landing page, tell me that I'm actually signing up for a demo. That's not what I came for. You can't do that. You're losing all trust and credibility by doing that. And if, if your team is uh, experimenting with different creatives and colors and images, that's great. But don't be lazy and just change one part of the campaign, like the email or the banner. And then I get to the same landing page from all the different versions. And now that landing page doesn't match half of your banners. That's not going to work either. What are you going to learn from that? So you have to create a, a wholesome, holistic campaign from start to finish where all the pieces, it's the banner and the landing page and the asset, they use the same imagery, the same title, the same promise, the same synopsis, the same three bullets to explain what I'm going to learn in there. Otherwise, I, I just feel that I'm in the wrong place. And, and also, your company looks like a mess. And if your company looks like a mess when I'm just downloading a piece of content, what's it going to look like if I ever decide to do business with you? So I guess those are some of the main tips there. Amazing. Thank you. So I think, yeah, that was, there's two like key things in there, I think that actually spending more time at the beginning on how you're going to distribute that, what it looks like, and then building that wholesome journey for everyone so that it makes sense throughout is definitely key, key tips from there. I think we're running out of time and I'm really conscious that of that. So I just wanted to leave with what would be the things, one thing you'd tell B2B marketing leaders to start doing more of today and one thing you'd ask them to stop and pivot away from? Uh, to stop and pivot away from is don't, produce or send out anything that you don't want to consume yourself. If you're feeling pressure from product to announce some boring new feature that nobody except them cares about, refuse to do it. Get into a discussion about when there'll be enough meat in that announcement that your customers would actually care about. Don't send out an email that has no value for, for the user. If, if your mother wouldn't open that email, why are you sending it to your prospect? Seriously, don't, don't send out anything you wouldn't consume that doesn't add value. That's the one thing you need to stop doing. Uh, what should you start doing? I would say, and, and I know most marketers are already there, but in 2021, if you don't own a number, if you aren't in a deep partnership with your revenue team about owning the, the upper funnel of sales, about building a significant part of pipeline, about caring how that pipeline converts and, and knowing what's working and what's not working, you're, you're not going to have a job for much longer or you're not going to get that promotion that you're looking for. You have to be a meaning, meaningful part of the revenue leadership team and own that upper part of the funnel. Uh, gone are the days where we could just create a whip, pretty website or put on a nice booth at a trade show. We have to own a number. We have to be part of that revenue leadership team. And as you know, that's that's the last thing that gets cut even when the company is not doing well. If you don't want to be the first thing that gets cut, don't be, don't be that team that just does pretty things and can't explain the impact on, on business. You have to own the number, be part of the revenue creation team. 
Yeah, and I think that feeds back into the, the very beginning of this conversation really nicely where we were saying, how do you get signed off for these ideas? Like, how do you have this whole budget line? Was because you can do all of that really, really well. And that's being communicated across to the CFA, the CEO. Um, and when you have the numbers to back it all up and you're owning a number and you can show it at the board level and you can show it in at your management level, then you're in a really good place and definitely have much more sway in terms of what you're able to do. So yeah, all, all roads lead there. Amazing. Well, it's been so great to chat to you, Udi, and I really appreciate the time. And yeah, everyone stay tuned for another episode um, coming up. So thank you. Thanks for having me.